Ron's so lucky, he's a star, but he cry cry cries in his lonely heart. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for divas. Fishy, isn't it? Malfoy not playing. Lucky, I call it, said Ron, looking slightly more animated. And Basie off too. He's their best goal scorer. I didn't fancy... Hey, I... You... My drink. My pumpkin juice. You didn't... Harry raised his eyebrows, but said nothing except... We'll be starting in about five minutes. You better get your boots on. I'm Heather Price Wright. And I'm Alex Dallenberg. Hello! We are still reading Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Also, we are recording this right after our midterm PSA and before the midterms. So, depending on what happens in two days, future Heather and Alex, I hope you're hanging in there. Uh, this is going to end up being really weirdly late because we're like four weeks ahead. For once, we've been really responsible this time around. Yeah, well, we'll see how far that goes. <laughs> but, uh, hope everything's all right out there in the future. So anyway, we are reading this week chapters called The Secret Riddle and Felix Felicis. You will hear cursing and spoilers in this podcast, plain and simple. You will also hear some adult themes. This week's adult themes are kleptomania, plying people with alcohol, the placebo effect, biased play calling, and PDA. There were a lot of plosives in those particular adult themes this week. Well, that's why we bought the windscreens for the microphone. A lot of P sounds. Although I think, I don't know, sometimes one or two escape us. It's not the Harry Potter book club for audiophiles. <laughs> I don't even think we've used that once because that would just be... It would be inaccurate. It would be completely false. It's true. Um, but hopefully it's at least bearable. <laughs> anyway. Uh, we have like one friend who actually works in public radio and I've never asked him to listen to this podcast. Oh my God, his poor would ears be, <laughs> would bleed. I'm sure it would just be like nails on a chalkboard to him. I also don't know if he reads Harry Potter. Anyway, Alex, what happened this week? In this week's chapters, Katie Bell is packed off to St. Mungo's. She's in pretty serious condition, but she's very lucky that the necklace didn't kill her. She had, like, a rip in her glove that touched the necklace or something. Dumbledore tells Harry that if she put it on, she almost certainly would have died. So, holy shit. (laughs) Speaking of Dumbledore, Harry has another lesson with the headmaster, Harry encourages Dumbledore to look into Draco Malfoy about the whole cursed necklace thing. Dumbledore's like, oh, yeah, sure. I'm launching a really thorough investigation of that. Don't worry about it. Not. Uh, (laughs) And then Dumbledore says, but anyway, Harry, let's get back to business. We are going to continue talking about the life and adventures of Lovo. So Dumbledore says, in this week's Pensieve... (laughs) we'll be catching up with young tom riddle uh he was born in london uh dumbledore tells harry harry asks how he knows that Merope gaunt was in london dumbledore says we know because of testimony from caractacus burke who bought slytherin's locket off of her for 10 galleons caractacus burke a we know is evil because he has a name with just a lot of fucking 
sinister syllables in it. Uh, maybe not evil, but he does start Evil Buffalo Exchange. He's the founder of Borgen and Burke. So he's one half of... The co-founder, we assume. The co-founder, yeah. With Bergen. He's... <laughs> Borgen. 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 Bergen is, um... Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Yeah, fucking Caractacus Burke basically is, like, the storage war's king. He fucking gets, like, <laughs> Slytherin's locket for ten galleons uh, off of Merope. Dumbledore also tells Harry that Merope stopped using magic shortly after Tom left her either because she was so depressed that her magical powers faded. Well, actually, we know that severe depression can influence your ability to do magic because Tonks, meanwhile, I don't know if we've touched on this, has lost her ability to morph. So Merope either stops using magic because she doesn't want to be a witch anymore or because she's really fucking depressed. So... Merope stops using magic and then gives birth to Tom at this orphanage in London and then dies and doesn't use magic to save herself, reminding us again that wizards can end death and childbirth but choose not to for all humans on Earth. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Harry should interrupt Dumbledore right then and be like, Wait, you can you can stop that from happening? <laughs> Shouldn't we? Yeah. Um, Maternal mortality is like a big problem, Dumbledore. Yeah. I don't know if you knew. So Dumbledore pulls out another vial of brain drippings and says, This time, Harry, we're going into my memories. But before we begin, this is what you have to understand about Lord Voldemort. Is that from the day he was born, he was trouble. He was the thorn in his father's side. He fled in vain, but he never caused him nothing but pain. He came home the day he died. From the day he was gone, all he wanted was a mouth or gun. And more to life, hoarding up junk. He was a low-down, cheap little punk. Taking everyone for a ride. When Voldy said he didn't like that bunny, you knew he was a no-good kid. But when he killed your mom with the magic wand, what a guy makes you cry, and I did. I didn't get that at all. It's the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Maybe, is that the tune? Yeah. So after a musical interlude, they dip into Dumbledore's memories, visiting a shabby orphanage in London. They watch as young Dumbledore meets the headmistress of the orphanage, a Mrs. Cole, who is a little skeptical at first about what Dumbledore is telling her. He says that Tom has won a scholarship. No, he says that he's from a school and that Tom is has been like accepted there uh but then dumbledore forges some paperwork and promptly gets her wasted on like a bottle of gin it's dumbledore right that conjures the gin <sighs> dumbledore you scamp <laughs> mrs cole tells dumbledore that tom is not like the other boys mysterious things keep happening like a rabbit that got hung from the rafters uh she can't prove that tom's behind any of it but uh, everyone has their suspicions. Also, these two kids went into a cave with him 
on like a summer vacation and then they came out and they were never quite the same. So, um, spooky. Dumbledore then visits with Tom, who thinks that Dumbledore is from the asylum and has come to take him away. Dumbledore says, no, no, I'm actually from a school of magic. Tom says, oh shit, what I can do is magic? And then he reveals to Dumbledore that he has powers. He says, I can make people do things. I can make people hurt if I want them to hurt. And, you know, he just is generally somewhat unsettling. Dumbledore is like, you're a wizard, Tom. Uh, but not in as charming a way as Hagrid. Uh, Tom says, prove it. Dumbledore sets a wardrobe on fire with his magic wand and then, like, puts it out immediately to show that he's actually a fucking wizard. He also levitates a box of Tom's things, but they are not actually Tom's things. It's a box of stuff that young Tom Riddle has stolen from his classmates. So he says, Tom, stealing is not allowed at Hogwarts. You're going to have to give all that back and apologize. Uh, Tom's like, all right, all right. By this point, Tom is feigning politeness, I would say. He's uh, kind of being extra deferential to Dumbledore. Uh, Dumbledore fills in Tom on how he has to buy his school supplies. He tells him about Diagon Alley and says that I'll take you there to buy all your school stuff. Tom says, no, no, I want to go to Diagon Alley by myself. I don't need anyone to go with me. Dumbledore's like, okay, cool, bro, you're 11, but whatever. We also learn that Tom hates his name. He says everybody's name, Tom. Fuck the name, Tom. I want a cool name. Uh, preferably one that is an anagram for my whole name. He also mentions to Dumbledore that he can talk to snakes. So, cutscene, Harry and Dumbledore are back in Dumbledore's office. Harry says, did you know then, Professor? Dumbledore says, did I know that I had just talked to the most powerful dark wizard of all time? No, I didn't. So, bum bum bum. But he's kind of like, but kind of. <laughs> I a little bit did. Sort of. Maybe sort of. I might have had an inkling, sure. (laughs) Dumbledore also says, couple footnotes, the fact that Tom Riddle likes to hoard stuff, and also that he doesn't like his name Tom, that he doesn't like any connection to something that could make him ordinary. So, sleep on that, Harry. Enjoy the visions of this creepy child talking to me about, like, magic. Also, Harry notices that Marvolo's ring isn't on Dumbledore's desk anymore. He's like, what's up with that, Dumbledore? Uh, Harry says, I thought we'd have, like, another object this time. Like, where's the mouth organ? And Dumbledore says, the mouth organ was only ever a mouth organ. Very cryptic. So, maybe Rowling will reveal that the mouth organ actually was something at some it's point. It's like, Actually, a <laughs> like, she's like, oops. Lord Voldemort's still alive, everybody. So Harry Potter 8, here we come. Everyone would be fucking thrilled with that, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, Actually, the mouth organ's a port key that, uh, who the fuck knows? It's a time turner mouth organ. <laughs> she fucking loves that time turner Or shit. it's the real villain transfigured as a mouth organ. <laughs> I don't know. We don't believe you that the mouth organ is still just a mouth organ, JK, but, uh, yeah. Or she'll be like, actually, Grindelwald built the mouth organ, but (laughs) that's the only 
It's still just a mouth organ. Grindelwald was just into making musical instruments. <laughs> uh, but Tom didn't know that. <laughs> anyway, back to more ordinary Hogwarts business. Hermione, Ron, and Harry are in herbology class, and Hermione tells Harry about the upcoming Slug Club Christmas party that Slughorn has that Slughorn is basically scheduling explicitly so that Harry can come. Uh, Ron scoffs at the idea of the Slug Club and says that Hermione should hook up with Cormac McClagan the next time at the Christmas party, basically. Hermione then says that she was going to invite Ron, but now she's not going to because he thinks it's stupid. So then it gets really fucking awkward. Harry wonders to himself about this emerging sexual tension between Hermione and Ron that he's been noticing for a long time and asks himself what would happen if they started dating. Uh, he worries that it would break up the whole group. To be fair, it kind of does. <laughs> Briefly, so. yeah. Meanwhile, Harry makes Dean Thomas the substitute chaser for Katie Bell, which he could have just made Dean a backup all along, but hey, whatever, it's his team. Uh, Ron is doing terribly at Quidditch practices. What else is new? He's an inconsistent player at best, so his nerves are getting to him. Even though he won the Quidditch Cup last year. Like, what more does he have to prove? Everything, I guess, when you're Ron Weasley. After a particularly bad practice, Ron and Harry run into Dean and Ginny making out in an empty corridor. Ron then confronts Ginny. He's like, I don't want people to see my sister. Like snogging all around school. Ginny then tells him off and says, just because everybody else has snogged somebody except for him, including Hermione and Crumb, he doesn't have to, he doesn't have any right to tell people like what to do basically with their bodies. Or he should like, basically she says, you're an insecure prat and either get some action for yourself or shut the fuck up. <sighs> also, Harry's having his own revelation at this moment. He feels a surprising amount of rage at seeing Dean and Ginny make it out. So then Harry starts to fantasize about getting his Mac on with Ginny in a dark corridor and like kind of tries to suppress those feelings being like, no, no, I feel like nothing but like brotherly love for like hot redhead or whatever. So there's some feels there. Probably spends a lot of time before the next match polishing his broom handle. Jeez and rice. <laughs> this confrontation between Ginny and Ron sends Ron into a spiral. He's a fucking asshole to everyone on the team. Harry even briefly considers kicking him off the team. He's being like such a dick. And he's also being terrible at Quidditch, so whatever. On match day, Ron is looking particularly haggard. So Harry pretends to spike his drink with Felix Felicis, making sure that Hermione sees him do it. Ron then plays brilliantly, Gryffindor wins, and then Hermione confronts both of the boys afterward and says, you know that was super fucking illegal. Harry then reveals that it was all just a placebo to get Ron to play well. Ron is then furious at Hermione for thinking that he couldn't play well without being under the influence of magic lucky drugs. And they're just in another one of these fucking patented Ron and Hermione-like feuds. There's a raucous victory party in Gryffindor Tower after the game, during which Ron hooks up with ba 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 motherfucking Lavender Brown, not Hermione. 
So that is a fucking development. Ron and Lavender are seen really going at it in plain sight of everyone. Harry then goes looking for Hermione, who he finds outside of the tower, just conjuring birds, which is something they learned how to do in uh, Transfiguration class. She's, what kind of birds are they? They're like these yellow kind of Tweety birds. So she's tearfully summoning birds into existence. Uh, Ron and Lavender then walk in. Lavender realizes she's like stepped into the middle of something and walks away giggling the entire time of course there's a very awkward silence which hermione breaks by saying uh lavender is probably waiting for you you should go don't keep her waiting as hermione is leaving she turns around and sends the flock of birds directly at ron's head and he thinks if there's nothing missing in my life then why do these birds come to fight and that's what happens in this week's chapters Wow, there were a lot of parody lyrics happening this week. I know, it's extra. It's beautifully extra. It's very good. Little Britney, little Rocky Horror. Yeah, this is very different genres. <laughs> you are quite a renaissance man. I do my best. So Tom Riddle is the original cursed child. Oh yeah, he's a straight up sociopath. <laughs> like, from day one. There have been... Incidents. Nasty things. Dumbledore did not press her, though Harry could tell that he was interested. She took yet another gulp of gin, and her rosy cheeks grew rosier still. Billy Stubbs's rabbit. Well, Tom said he didn't do it, and I don't see how he could have done, but even so, it didn't hang itself from the rafters, did it? I shouldn't think so, no, said Dumbledore quietly. But I'm triggered if I know how he got up there to do it. All I know is he and Billy had argued the day before. And then Mrs. Cole took another swig of gin, slopping a little over her chin this time. On the summer outing, we take them out, you know, once a year to the countryside or to the seaside. Well, Amy Benson and Dennis Bishop were never quite right afterwards. And all we ever got out of them was that they'd gone into a cave with Tom Riddle. He swore they'd just gone exploring, but something happened in there. I'm sure of it. And, well, there have been a lot of things. Funny things. So first of all, just children who hurt animals, just like fucking keep an eye on them. Dude, red flag. Big, huge red flag. And his sort of obsession with being special and he like knows stuff that the other kids don't and he can do stuff that the other kids can't and he just like, that's so serial killer to me. Yeah, well, and you read a lot about... This is a particular area of interest of yours as well. I mean, not any more than any other 30-year-old woman in 2018. We're all out here listening to every true crime podcast. It's like in right now. I don't know a ton about it. I like listened to My Favorite Murder and I read All Be Gone in the Dark. But I do remember, it reminded me a lot. He just, the way that Tom Riddle kind of just like, believes that he should just get away with whatever he wants 
and can sort of like skate by because he's this like handsome kind of like cool customer. It reminds me of this story about Ted Bundy and some of you might know this story better than I do so correct me if I'm getting the details wrong but he's like in Colorado um either on trial or awaiting sentencing for murder and but he's just this really like well-spoken kind of clean-cut white guy seems really kind of professorial in a lot of ways and so he basically says to the guards like hey I'm just like fucking bored can I like go up to the library and like read for a little while we're just like sitting around right now like totally ignore the fact that I'm on trial for like the cold-blooded murder of multiple women I'm just can I go read and they're like yeah no you're like white and seem fine who cares what you're accused of he fucking immediately escapes and like goes on to like commit you know arguably his most heinous crimes in Florida and I don't know something about that reminds me of Tom Riddle's like affect like he has massive serial killer vibes yeah in this right chapter. away immediately and I don't what's Dumbledore doing yeah I know he opens the door and Tom Riddle's like hello Clarice yeah like, immediately just like <laughs> hardcore instantly and his like sense of aggrievedness is really interesting too because like I don't know Tom Riddle's had a hard life there are parallels to Harry's experience here their orphanhood um and not knowing about the magical world. But, hot-ish take, warm take, Tom Riddle's upbringing in the orphanage is, I would say, a lot better than Harry's upbringing with the Dursleys. Well, yeah, I think you're right. Because um, the place is kind of shabby, but the kids are described as looking like they're adequately fed and cared for, which Harry was not. Harry was like underweight and getting like table scraps tom has his own room harry had a cupboard underneath the stairs harry like experienced deprivation amidst like plenty all the kids he like dudley was getting like lots of presents and like adequate food and harry wasn't all the kids at the orphanage seemed to be like pretty much in the same boat so well and most importantly harry was being raised by people who actively despised him Right. These women that we meet at the orphanage seem like they're genuinely and in good faith doing their best. Like, there's no, like, Miss Hannigan shenanigans. No. (laughs) I was thinking of Miss Hannigan. There's no Annie bullshit. Right. Like, this is staffed by sort of competent, well-meaning, mostly female sort of, like, attendants. Overworked. Yeah, but it's described as spotlessly clean, she, like, the Mrs. Cole, the woman that Dumbledore talks to, like, knows what's going on with all the kids. They fucking take them on vacation. Harry's never been on vacation. They get to go to the seaside every year, and just, like, for a field trip. Obviously, it's not ideal, and Tom has a really sad story, but his sense that he is sort of, like, singularly aggrieved, and it's so unfair that someone as special and important and like and valuable as him should be in these circumstances it's just so again it's so serial killer 
Ted Bundy used to write letters from prison about how he was like being subjected to cruel and unusual punishment because like the pencils were shitty. That (laughs) just, that sense of like outsized entitlement. Children are entitled to a better childhood than this, I think as a general rule. But nobody's abusing him. Nobody's hurting him. People are doing their best to care for him. They're not sending him to the asylum, despite the fact that he has very upsetting tendencies. Like, he's a eminently hateable child. <laughs> a hateable child? Yeah, is. I guess so, yeah. He's awful. He tortures his classmates. And Mrs. Cole doesn't seem to hate him. She's like, yeah, he's fucking weird, but, like, we do our best out here. I, I mean, he's awful from the very word go. Do you like that aspect of the books? Like... I don't know. Is it weird to make him evil from babyhood? What do you think about that? I was kind of hoping, I think the first time I read these books, for some kind of fall narrative where he like kind of makes the choice between good and evil. But it's pretty baked in from the beginning with Voldemort here. He's sort of like almost, he has this kind of like antichrist birth almost. Yeah, I don't know. I'm of two minds about it because partly I think this backstory is one of the most interesting things in these books. I actually think this arc and this journey that Harry goes on with Dumbledore learning about Lovo's history is very deftly done and very interesting and really arresting. And I think a lot of villains kind of get the like, oh, this like one tragic thing happened and then like I decided like fuck it and... You know, it's like the Dr. Octopus narrative (laughs) that I kind of think of. And this, to me, there just are some people, I don't think anybody's born evil. Yeah. But, like, this is a real, like, personality disorder that exists. And, like, the thing that you have to do with a kid like this is the thing Dumbledore, like, doesn't fucking do. Which is? Manage it at all. Right. Like, on the one hand with Dumbledore, so let's talk about Dumbledore's choice here. Because on the one hand, he is doing the thing that you hope all educators will do with children, which is, like, just inherently believe in the ability of a child to, like, learn and grow and be good and flourish and just sort of, like, exist positively in the world. But he doesn't do part two of that, (laughs) which is when you have a kid who's, like, displaying inabilities to do anything like that, fucking scaffold it a little Dumbledore needs to like write an IEP for Tom Riddle and be like, sure, you can come to the school, but here are sort of the like wraparound services we're going to provide to make sure you don't turn into the serial killer you are very quickly blossoming into being. Yeah, Dumbledore's like, "Mm, all right, uh, murder small animals, torture schoolmates. You seem well-adjusted enough to do your own shopping on Diagon Alley. <laughs> right. He doesn't even insist on going with this 11-year-old to buy a gun. Yeah, basically. <laughs> like... Yeah, let's just give you a wand and uh, see what you do with it, you know? I don't uh, think Dumbledore is wrong to think, like, this could go a better way. Like, no. he Voldemort is still a kid here. Like, kids can turn out okay. Even, like coming from, like, really difficult backgrounds. And kids can turn out okay even if they're, like, fucking monsters when they're little. Lots of things can happen to make a life okay or not okay. Yeah. But Dumbledore is just like, 
I'm going to do the brief right thing of like seeing the possibility of good in you and then immediately abandon all responsibility for sort of nurturing that possibility <laughs> and just let you become evil in sort of like total kind of acquiescent silence. We know that Harry has to go back to the Dursleys for various magical fucking reasons, but couldn't we place Tom in like wizard foster right well and the fact that he's gonna continue like because one of the things that tom is showing is that he's already displaying the ways in which he's going to hate muggles yeah like he thinks that kids who can't do magic are like bad and stupid and like not worth like being alive basically so he's like why don't we just send you back to torture more kids in the muggle orphanage every summer like find somewhere else for this child to be (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, like, give him to fucking, like, Nicholas Flamel or some shit. (laughs) Be like, would somebody just keep an eye on this kid? (laughs) But seriously, the the scene where he he hangs a rabbit. Chilling. That is number one. That and a fucking head injury as a very young person are, like, the two things when you're listening to My Favorite Murder, you're like, yup, you are gonna cut some heads off and wear them as your head. It is about to get dark up in here. My favorite Marvolo. (laughs) Dang, dude. The other thing that we see that's sort of a hint of what's to come with Voldemort is he says, he's trying to figure out whether his mother or his father was magic. And he's like, oh, well, it can't have been my mother because she died. So he clearly develops this belief like right away that being magical should inure you from death. Mm-hmm. Like, and the rest of his life is dedicated to basically, like, seeing that out. But his thought is, wizards shouldn't die. If I'm special and I'm magical, I should be immune to the one thing that, like, really makes you a human, which is death. So I just thought that was a really interesting kind of telling moment. Mm, yeah, it's nice foreshadowing, too. So massively switching gears, we have some fucking Quidditch. More Quidditch. I don't want to talk about Quidditch very much, but do you know who I want to talk about for a hot minute? Who? Stupid little dipshit Zacharias Smith. What a hufflefuck that guy is. It actually is kind of fun to have sort of an off-brand house member because he's not like a sweet, pudgy, lovable kind of like puff type no he's he's... a jerk (laughs) he's deeply unpleasant (laughs) he definitely makes me miss lee jordan he's our unsung villain for these chapters he's zachariah smith when Ginny runs full bore into the announcer's stand and like knocks him over and covers him with like fucking two by fours (laughs) so good (laughs) It's dangerous. His announcing is also not as interesting as Lee Jordan's. No, he's not nearly as skilled at it. He's yeah. boring and mean. But I guess they had to get away from, like, all Gryffindor announcers, so. Which, actually, that, Gryffindor, that feels like the natural house for an announcer to come from. Yeah, They're, Hufflepuffs are fair-minded, except for this one. No, 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 Gryffindor feels like the natural house. Oh, you think so? Gryffindor feels like the natural house for sports announcers to come from well Gryffindor are just jocks they're jocks but they're also kind of like big talkers and they're very gregarious they just feel like the personality type that like 
kind of gets everybody like out of their seats and excited. Like you don't want an announcer that's just like really straightforward and like here's what happened here's what then happened here's what then happened like you want some personality and some verve and then you want to lee jordan ravenclaw are like the stat- actually the no, rules no, no, no. ravenclaw are like the sabermetrics guys <laughs> they're like and gals uh they're like doing like advanced statistics and uh like fucking Moneyball. Yeah, they, that uh, is what Ravenclaw would be up to. You're so right. They're the ones providing the stats for the announcers. Um, looking at like point differential or whatever. And it can't uh, be Slytherin because like it just, you can't have Slytherin representing you as a school because those guys are bad. No, you gotta. No. Just, you gotta keep that shit contained. All right, but the real meat of the Quidditch chapter is the, I guess the long expected kind of blow up between Ron and Hermione as their, like, unresolved feelings toward each other, like, come to a head, basically. Ron is losing it in this chapter from the word go, basically. He's so unlikable. He really is unpleasant. And, you know, we went into a lot about the things that bug us about Ron and Hermione in the last episode, but this chapter just really underscores that their primary mode of being toward one another is deeply unpleasant. Yeah. And not that fun to read about. The scene where Harry is like furiously trying to ignore both of them in Herbology while he's like trying to loudly like bust up his like snuffle luffig whatever the fucking thing pod. His snuffle luffigus pod. snuffle luffigus pod. It's like a snuffle pod. Uh, is, uh, that's quite funny. And then he's thinking to himself, like, oh, shit, I've seen this coming for a long time. I was hoping this day would never arrive, but here we are. (laughs) Harry's realization of what's going on here is a really interesting moment because he sort of has known it all along, and he's sort of been fielding their weird, perverse advances toward one another and managing the space between them for so long. Like, Harry has been refereeing the Ron and Hermione bullshit for their whole friendship. Yeah, Even I know. <laughs> start, like, book one, Harry's just like, oh, I think you were really mean to Hermione. And Ron's like, bah, 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 I don't care. And he's just been doing the same thing ever since. This poor guy is like, if they date, it's going to be hell for me. Harry Potter and the third wheel. <laughs> which I guess is Harry Potter. Yeah. But Harry is... Yeah, Harry's a third wheel. He absolutely uh, is. <laughs> also, once again, our heroes, in this case Harry, is working overtime to manage Ron's emotions for him to the point where Harry has to put together this elaborate scheme to like trick Ron into getting over himself for one goddamn like hour to play a game of Quidditch, which frankly he executes brilliantly. This is Harry's most perfectly executed plan. Flawless. The Felix Felicis plan is flawless. Usually Harry like comes up with like a rough idea of how something is going to go and then things start like falling apart halfway through and he has to kind of wing it. Uh, and you know, he su- succeeds because he's our brave fucking daunting Harry Potter. But uh Daunting. Not daunting. Uh, Dauntless. Yeah. He's, uh, because he's the... Protagonist. Yeah, the protagonist of these these books. 
but even though Harry thinks that Ron winning is gonna like make his problems go away or at least cause Ron to stop being such a fucking nightmare, it actually accomplishes the exact opposite, which is I guess it's deeply ironic, but I don't I don't know, it's funny. It's A deeply ironic, but B deeply predictable. Yeah. Um Right, because that's not That's like the whole, that's the lie your brain tells you your whole life. It's just like, if this one thing happens, I'll be okay. And then everything is worse when the thing happens and you're not okay. Right. So Ron is just like, oh, the problem is Quidditch. The problem is Quidditch. I'm shitty at Quidditch and my life is going to be fine if I'm less shitty at Quidditch. And then he's great at Quidditch and he's like, oh, wait, all my emotions are fucked. (laughs) And I was just using this Quidditch game to mask the fact that I'm desperately in love with my best friend and I don't know how to have a single feeling in my stupid body <laughs> and everything is even worse. Harry is so intent on managing Ron's emotions in this chapter that Harry fucking Potter, the greatest seeker that Hogwarts has ever known, almost loses an incredibly easy to win Quidditch game. Like, the dumb substitute Slytherin Seeker very nearly, like, has the snitch within his grasp. And Harry has to, like, shoot off, like, an insult. And, you know, to be fair, the guy immediately drops the snitch because he's not actually a good Seeker. Slytherins are the most easily baited motherfuckers in the world. But Harry almost loses the Quidditch game because because he's he's so worried about stupid Ron. He's completely focused on Ron, who frankly, is completely incidental to this game. Harry should be like, Ron. Don't do anything. Don't do anything. Just don't let us get down by 150 points, okay, How buddy? How fucking like, hard can that be? <laughs> Apparently your for job, Ron, it's very hard. Your job is not that hard. I don't know. I'm not, like, great at fucking sports, obviously. I'm not, like, a natural athlete. But I think if you put me in a rec league soccer game... And we had, like, decent enough, like, defenders. I could probably stop us from getting down 15. Probably. Maybe not. But with but a little bit of practice. Ron is meant to be decently good at. <laughs> and it's like, you can't even do the basics without somebody doing all of this crazy, like, manipulative brain work. Well, no, mostly his role doesn't even matter. Well, I know, but also he can't do his totally doesn't matter role. Right. Well, anyway, fucking Aaron. Okay, fucking Aaron. But I want to be fair here because Hermione is just as fundamentally and deeply unpleasant. Yeah, well, she switched to she's just like passive aggressive all the time. I know. Slug club, repeated Ron with a sneer worthy of Malfoy. It's pathetic. Well, I hope you enjoy your party. Why don't you try hooking up with McLagan? Then Slughorn can make you king and queen, Slug. We're allowed to bring guests, said Hermione, who for some reason had turned a bright boiling scarlet. And I was going to ask you to come, but if you think it's that stupid, then I won't bother. Harry suddenly wished the pot had flown a little farther so that he need not have been sitting here with a pair of them. Unnoticed by either, he seized the bowl that contained the pod and began to try and open it by the noisiest and most energetic means he could think of. Unfortunately, he could still hear every word of their conversation. You were going to ask me? asked Ron in a completely different voice. Yes, said Hermione angrily. But obviously, if you'd rather I hooked up with McLagan. There was a pause while Harry continued to pound the resilient pod with a trowel. No, I wouldn't, said Ron in a very quiet voice. 
she could make it right. She has it right within her grasp. He's like making fun of the slug club. And she could say like, actually, I kind of think you'd have fun. And I was considering inviting you to the party. So are you interested in going with me? And he would have been like, yeah. And then it would have been weird in a bunch of different ways. But she could have diffused the situation. But and she, she knows she can. She has that ability in other settings. She wants Ron to like get there on his own, though. Right, which I understand. Which is maybe a futile hope. It's. I mean, the thing is, she's barking up the wrong tree fundamentally. She wants Ron to be Ron and simultaneously to not be Ron. Right. Which is a bad way to conduct your love life. Yes. Because she has feelings for him, but she knows that things about him would have to fundamentally change in order for him to be a good boyfriend. So just don't make him your boyfriend. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to be like, I have chemistry with this person. They're very cute. Like, I feel like there's a universe in which this is like a really sexy romance. But they're just not keeping up their end of the bargain. And I need to move on. They already need couples counseling and they're not even a couple. That's true. They need like friendship counseling. They do. All these, they already manif- they are already manifesting all these habits that become like toxic in long-term relationships, and they're not even partners yet. They do. They have all of like all of the sort of red flags of a relationship working poorly. Total lack of communication. Showing I, the one there's like research that the thing that you're most supposed to avoid sort of showing to your partner is any kind of contempt. And Hermione is contemptuous toward Ron. Hermione treats Ron sort of fairly, but if you're trying to be in a relationship with someone, don't do this. Like a very, very, very dumb baby. (laughs) And that's just like not a good foot to start off on. These two are so, so infuriating. Well, and I don't find it fun or sexy. Ron is also contemptuous of Hermione often. Yeah. Especially when it comes to things like the slug club. Yes. The con- contempt is the emotion that you're supposed to guard against most in a successful relationship. Ron is also contemptuous of Hermione's bookishness half the time, which is frankly the only reason he's still enrolled in school at this point. They don't like each other's basic personalities. (laughs) And strengths! Yeah. It's absolutely wild that this is meant to be, like, the exciting central romance. The will-they-won't-they. It's very Ross and Rachel in that... That will they won't they sucks too. They're terrible people who are terrible for each other and they shouldn't end up together. (laughs) And, you know. Ron um, comes out with Lavender and Hermione's crying and he's like, I thought we were on a break. Oh my God. We were on a break. But really, these two are terrible. Also, Ron, in two instances in this chapter, displays... It's not just about Hermione. Right. He has this fundamental belief that he should be in charge of the choices of the women in his life. Because he flies off the handle at Ginny first. Right, said Ginny, tossing her long red hair out of her face and glaring at Ron. Let's get this straight once and for all. It is none of your business who I go out with or what I do with them, Ron. Yeah, it is, said Ron, just as angrily. Do you think I want people saying my sister's a... A what? shouted Ginny, drawing her wand. A what? 
exactly. He doesn't mean anything, Ginny, said Harry automatically, though the monster was roaring its approval of Ron's words. Oh, yes, he does, she said, flaring up at Harry. Just because he's never snogged anyone in his life, just because the best kiss he's ever had is from our Auntie Muriel. Shut your mouth, bellowed Ron, bypassing red and turning maroon. No, I will not, yelled Ginny beside herself. I've seen you with phlegm, hoping she'll kiss you on the cheek every time you see her. It's pathetic. If you went out and got a bit of snogging done yourself, you wouldn't mind so much that everyone else does it. Yeah, that's what sets this whole thing in motion. He doesn't want her making out where she can be, like, seen, which she wasn't even doing. almost calls her a slut. Yeah, basically. He goes, I don't want people to think my little sister is a... And she goes, a what, Ron? And the word that ends that sentence is slut. Or slag. Or Or whatever the weird UKism version of it is. But it's something awful. Yeah. He's about to call her a horrible name. Yeah, and then he gets very... When Ginny rubs the fact that Hermione's first kiss was with Crumb in his face, he gets like very upset about that too, all yeah. over again. Hermione which clearly can't even he have never in the past, which he never even got over from book four. Well, it's also wild that he sort of had gotten through the last couple of years of school, assuming that Hermione never kissed her much older Quidditch superstar boyfriend. <laughs> like, bro, what do you think they were up to? Yeah, I know. He was an international sports star, and he was, like, 18. Like, they weren't reading out loud to each other from Hogwarts A History. I mean, that was probably mixed into it, but... <laughs> that was, like, foreplay. You know. Uh... I mean, they probably didn't go that far, but they definitely snogged. I do believe Hermione has a head on her shoulders, and we don't know what wizarding birth control looks like. So my assumption is, like, second base. Or whatever the Quidditch equivalent of that would be. <laughs> Second hoop. No. No. There's no... There's no... Uh... Nobody caught the snitch. Yeah. But, I mean, at least Crumb can find the snitch. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. don't know about Ron. Yowza. Uh, on the other hand, I've never seen a keeper score this much in one chapter. Because he gets with Lavender Brown. Oh, oh there we go. Ha, sports ha. metaphors. God, sports metaphors for sex are just really problematic. But here is where we are. I don't think the Ron Lavender pairing is the dumbest. She's like been paying attention to him. This book, she was like rooting for him in Quidditch. She thinks he's funny. Lavender is the Ron and Lavender pairing is exactly the kind of couple that I feel like you see in high school. Yeah. They're sort of compatible ish. It's proximity. They're just available. Yeah. There was this, like, we, I, my group of friends in high school, everyone just sort of dated each other because we were there. <laughs> and this is what that is to me. And it feels very intense and passionate at the time. And there's a lot of drama because, like, you are all just there. So inevitably, you're all watching this play out. But yeah, Ron and Lavender, Lavender's fine. She's pretty. She's attentive. She wants a boyfriend who is just a fucking normal dude, which Ron is eminently average. I guess the question is, does Ron get with Lavender just to make Hermione jealous? Absolutely, and that's unfair to Lavender. But I think 
Lavender gets with Ron because he's sort of around and tall. <laughs> so like and, neither you know, of them. He just won the big game. And he, yeah. Well, but he she's really. had a crush on him since before that. She's been, you can see, you've seen her developing mm, yeah. feelings for Ron like this whole book. This book is just the entire Twitter pated like scene from Bambi, <laughs> which we've done as an Easter egg before, but that's what it makes me think of. It's like everyone's sexuality is blossoming. Yeah. It's just a lot of, just a lot of springtime feels. <laughs> no, I think Ron and Lavender make perfect sense. They're both kind of whatever. I like Lavender a fair amount, actually, just because she seems funny. Parvati is constantly laughing. Yeah. So presumably Lavender is funny. And so is Ron. Yeah, sometimes. Ron actually yeah, is yeah, funny. Yeah, Ron's pretty no, funny. Ron is funny. Ron has a lot going for him as a boyfriend, just not for Hermione, who seems to hate him. <laughs> But yeah, he's tall, he's sporty, he's got this, like, he's got cool brothers that he's probably, like, maybe Lavender assumes that Fred and George have, like, taught him a trick or two, which unfortunately they haven't. (laughs) But, I don't know, they're doing what they're doing. It's strictly fine. Yeah. Here's what I like about Lavender, is she just sort of decides that she's into a guy and she goes for it. Hermione does all these mind games, and it's just so protracted and dramatic and angsty and lavender is like what if we made out right now (laughs) and then they do and it's great another pairing we obviously have to talk about is Ginny and hermione fuck nope not Ginny and hermione that's a different podcast um (laughs) (laughs) is Ginny and harry yeah i'm i there's weird stuff in the fandom against this ship i think they're great together is that just because Ginny in the movies doesn't have much to do yeah she is a boring character well there's just not you know there's not time there's not enough time to develop her character but she gets development in the books uh i would say i think she's awesome yeah they have shared interests they have shared experiences they have developed a strong affection and sort of bond of love with one another long before it becomes romantic he loves her really deeply before he falls in love with her because he saves her without a second thought in fucking book two yeah like harry loves jenny and they seem to just implicitly trust each other they do and they think each other are funny and he like really he just thinks she's this very like cool like able kind of clutch gal yeah clutch which is, true. is a good word she is fucking clutch <laughs> i think they make a ton of sense I, together I, I like it i, like I also it. want harry to have just i also want harry to have just like a practical down-to-earth kind of chill partner who can be like i know you're the boy who lived but like take it down a level <laughs> like we just need to we need to stop with the heroics for like 10 seconds and just like be also Ginny's kind of like, she was crushing on Harry, but now she just like, she's not like overawed by him at all. She just like. It's like my brother's weird friend. Tells it like it is to he him. He happens to be she's fucking like, famous. Don't look at that. She's like, don't open strange books. Yeah. <laughs> don't open potentially cursed books. Don't do that. That's not smart. <laughs> and I do really appreciate that the narrative we get isn't Ginny pines over Harry for five books and then like gets the deepest desire of her heart. No, Ginny has like 
hella moved on. I and know. Harry pines after her, which I think is a really nice reversal of how this could have gone. Yes, it's good. I really appreciate it. There is some kind of weird mom stuff. Yeah, I mean, Ginny is... I think we're meant to understand that Ginny kind of looks like Lily. Also, she's a Weasley, so her mom is like Harry's only other mother figure. So, I don't know... Is there like some Oedipal shit going on here or what do you think? I think it's much more homoerotic. I think what it actually is is that Harry just wants to fuck Ron. Dang, dude. Like if there's a Weasley that Harry is sort of like channeling his feelings onto with Ginny, I think it's his bestie. Like not actually. I don't think there's a Mrs. Weasley thing. It's eerie but maybe interesting how much Ginny and Harry physically resemble James and Lily. Like, it is this sort of weird mirror couple. Even in the movies, like, they look a lot alike. And I wonder what that casting, like, was about. Yeah, But the James, Lily, Ginny, Harry parallels physically are really interesting. But I don't know if they matter. I mean, are people drawn to what's sort of, like, familiar to them? People are drawn to people who look like them. And presumably, Harry looks like his mom. Yeah, that's true. I don't know if it matters that much. I don't think it's a Mrs. Weasley thing. No. If okay. anything, I think it's a, a sexy Ron thing. He does want to be a Weasley. He does. But I don't think he wants Mrs. Weasley. But he does. He wants to be a member of that family, which that I think is pretty pure. I think that's lovely. Yeah, well, I mean, he didn't have one, so. Yeah. Joining and this a big is the family, family is that like... has embraced him and mm-hmm. wanting to be a part of that makes total sense. Who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero are those birds that Hermione summons into existence and then has attack Ron. Mostly, it's just very funny. Also, whenever we have the opportunity to make birds an unsung hero, I think we should do it. I fully Uh, agree. What is the experience of these birds? They didn't exist a second before. They won't exist a second from now. Now they have to attack this guy's face? Okay. Act well your part. Therein all honor lies. That's what those birds teach us. My unsung hero is Mrs. Cole, who is the matron of the orphanage that Tom Riddle lives in. She seems to be genuinely doing her job, as we talked about earlier. She's also extremely fucking skeptical of Dumbledore, which I deeply appreciate. (laughs) She's like doing some due diligence. She's like, hi, you look extremely strange. You're coming from literally nowhere you have no paperwork. I'm not going to just give you a kid. That's a very weird request. I don't think your school is real. I don't understand your outfit at all. <laughs> you just seem sketchy and there must be some kind of a plot here. Which like, there is. Which there is, but obviously not one that she can imagine. But I think she thinks Dumbledore is a shyster and she doesn't want to just hand over. And you know what? It would be so reasonable. Not reasonable. It would be so logical and in keeping with how these stories go for her to just be like, yes, take this awful child off my hands. But she doesn't want to just send Tom God knows where. Yeah. And she doesn't know if Dumbledore's like after, I think she gets a sense that he's after money that one of the parents secretly has. Mm. That would be my guess. And Dumbledore confunds her, which is like really unethical. So I don't know. Mrs. Cole is trying really hard to do right by these kids 
and she can fucking hold her gin. She gets, <laughs> she has like nine shots and she's like stone cold sober, like explaining everything that's going on. She's a badass. Really, really like her. I wish orphanages didn't have to exist, but if they do, I'm glad one of them is run by someone this fucking competent. Also, shout out to Crookshanks, who just wants to eat the Pygmy Puff Arnold. I don't want him to eat Arnold. Ginny loves Arnold. I know, but that's really funny when he's following Ginny around, hoping that she'll drop Arnold and he'll get to chow down. Yeah, that's true. Although God knows what a Pygmy Puff does to you if you eat it. I wonder what it tastes like. I uh, sweet maybe cotton I candy yeah, is what I would I, bet. Who the fuck knows? This week's episode is brought to you by Butterbeer. It's booze for kids. Is Butterbeer alcoholic? He does talk about things changing under the influence of Butterbeer. Yeah, he wonders. Harry wonders to himself how Ron and Hermione's affect toward each other might change at like a Christmas party, quote, under the influence of Butterbeer, unquote. Maybe it's not alcoholic, but it's got sort of a similar like disinhibiting warming effect. Like it's just like not just to a the potion. S- yeah, not to the same extreme. They do way more fucked up things to themselves than drink. That's true. Like they test <laughs> potions on themselves in class. Yeah, that's true. Like, Honestly, boozing is like the least of these kids' worries. Yeah, given what else they could get up to. Uh, Yeah, that makes sense. The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. You can email us, quibblerpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on social media at Quibbler Podcast across the various platforms. Find us on wherever it is that you get a podcast. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts if you would be so kind. We read all of them. You all are lovely. And uh, we thank those of you who have already done so. I think that's all the kind of housekeeping. I would just like to share that it is 4.35 p.m., and getting dark. It's the first day of daylight saving time. No, no, it's the end of daylight saving time. So all I can say is fuck daylight saving time. <laughs> this is terrible. I need to get my sun lamp out. Oh, PSA, if you have seasonal affective disorder, these like medical grade sun lamp things are it. Highly recommend getting one of those for yourself. And that's all she wrote. Next week... We will be reading the chapters called The Unbreakable Thou and A Very Frosty Christmas. So we're on point with time of year. Yeah, man. Get in the holiday spirit. Thanks, amigos. Very astute, Harry. But the mouth organ was only ever a mouth organ. Pugno! came a shriek from the doorway. Harry spun around to see Hermione pointing her wand at Ron, her expression wild. The little flock of birds was speeding like a hail of fat golden bullets toward Ron, who yelped and covered his face with his hands, but the birds attacked, pecking and clawing at every bit of flesh they could reach. What's the matter? Something wrong out here? <laughs> We're fighting a war, Sam. A war? Against who? Against birds! I'm glad you all think this is so amusing. <laughs>